Hello, film fans, and welcome to A Very Good Year, a new podcast where we invite a guest, a uh, filmmaker or writer, actor, comedian, musician, anyone who loves movies, really, to pick their favorite year of movies and to talk to us about that year. Uh, I'm Jason Bailey, and across the mic and across the country from me is my co-host. Michael Hull. Uh, we are, uh, we're recording tonight, uh, having finally aired a few episodes. We want to thank all of you for your feedback, for your enthusiasm, for your, uh, for your good, kind encouragement. Uh, the one thing that we haven't been saying on the show, which is a requirement of all podcasts, uh, we had to pay a small fine actually is to please rate and review the show, uh, on your podcaster, uh, of choice. Uh, it really, truly does help us to have those uh, those ratings and reviews up there to encourage people to uh, to listen. Because I, as you may have noticed, there are roughly ten gajillion podcasts out there to choose from. We thank you for choosing this one. Uh, our guest today, uh, just pleased as punch to have here, uh, is a screenwriter, uh, a culture writer with bylines at the New York Times and the Atlantic, Vanity Fair, Slate, many more. Uh, she's the co-host of Slate's Working Podcast. And best of all, the author of the wonderful new book, Bong Joon-ho, Dissident Cinema. Here she is, uh, our friend and yours, the great Karen Han. Hi, Karen. Hi, thank you so much for having me on the show. Oh my God, thank you for being here with us. We, we you know, we've been doing this, this uh, sort of burst of recordings before Christmas um, because, you know, we have a, a lot of writer friends who have gift giving appropriate books coming out this holiday season. <laughs> yeah. And so we wanted to make sure I, I for one appreciate having the opportunity to go on a podcast before Christmas and, and, and hawk your wares. Um, we will talk again towards the end of, of the show about your wonderful book for our, uh, our, our favorite publisher Abrams, um, <laughs> who also published fun city cinema. Um, <laughs> But uh, but in the meantime, uh, Karen, tell us what year you chose and why. Well, I chose 2003 and I specifically chose this because I wanted to talk about one of the Lord of the Rings films. Like I was just like, <laughs> if you ask me, like, what's a good year for movie? It's like one that one of the Lord of the Rings films came out <laughs> and someone had already taken 2001 and not put fellowship on the list as I looked through the list of guests, which I I'm very mad about what I chose uh, 2003 so I could talk about Return of the King. That is literally why. That's great. You know what? It's 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 the one that won the Oscars. It's the it's the big conclusion. What an amazing night. It's it's the conclusion. It, just it was the best. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and the last Lord of the Rings film that's been made. Uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. <laughs> tell us tell us about um, sort of help us help situate us in terms of where you were in your uh, life as a moviegoer in 2003 and sort of the circumstances in which you were first seeing a lot of these movies that we're going to talk about today. Yeah, um, so I was definitely at a stage where I was like starting to care more about movies in general, I think. Like I remember like the first two CDs that I bought with my own money were the Return of, the Return of the King soundtrack and the Incredible soundtrack because they were around the same time. Uh -huh. And that, like they were that important to me yeah. <laughs> at that point in my life. I would have been uh 12 years old, oh I my guess. God. Oh my when god. This happened? I'm I sorry. Know, can, I'm sorry. Mike, can you <laughs> can you like insert a sound effect of us crumbling into dust? <laughs> Cuz we were both um, literally out of college by then, but okay. So, 
So 12-year-old Karen is is starting to go to the moving pictures a lot. Yeah, and this was like hugely influential for me. And honestly, this also was sort of part of why I wanted to talk about this year or like around these years. Like mm -hmm. another contender was um, the year that Spider-Man 2 came out because that was also hugely formative for me. <laughs> and um, we'll talk about this a little more, but the movies that I picked for this year are also not, I would say, all I think the best movies that came out this year, but the movies that were the most important to me personally as a young uh, tween slash teen in that era. <laughs> gotcha. Well, that's, you know, that's beautiful because like I say, it's, it's so far, uh, you know, we've got a few finally sort of on the schedule that are, uh, you know, sort of 50s, 60s or whatever, you know, 70s. But yeah. everyone we've talked to so far has either wanted to talk about very distant history or a year where they were going to the movies a lot and it mattered to them very, very much. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of a key to to unlocking this for you. Were you, where were you growing up? Like what kind of, you know, was this like a multiplex movie going sort of, sort of time in your life like what's you know what um walk me through when 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 little when little karen goes to the movies <laughs> yeah so i would have been in illinois at this point mm -hmm. uh and the town that we lived in there were two like big multiplexes and then one independent theater that recently shut down which is very sad oh man um but there was one in particular we'd go to all the time the savoy 16 shout out to the savoy 16 and we just go there and see all the major movies that were coming out like uh -huh. that was really I, I used to joke that there's like two things that you could do in my hometown and they are you go to the movies or you go bowling and that's kind of it. Uh -huh. <laughs> and uh, movies obviously were big as a result. I remember yeah. like most of the birthday parties for people that I knew, like my birthday parties and my friends would be like, go to the cinema, see whatever is out and then go to the Applebee's that's across the street. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that was my, the, the beginning of my, a cinephile experience. <laughs> now I have to, to tell the listener that when Karen and I first got to know each other, one of the things we bonded over was our Midwest roots. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, Mike also hails originally from Wichita, Kansas. And I will tell you nice. that this was a very similar sort of slate of options for us on a Friday night uh -huh. in Wichita, Kansas was, you know, to go to the Warren or the Warren East uh, to see whatever the hot new release was. And I was never much of a bowler. And so here we are now doing this. Yeah, um, I do like bowling, but I think it's like harder. Like there's less of a time window on it. Like you uh -huh. don't know how long you'll be bowling. So it's easier to just go to the movies. And it's also like some more variety, I guess, yeah. <laughs> in terms of yeah. what you're seeing. Have I don't you, even uh, remember what the other big multiplex was called. Sorry, I interrupted you. But no, yeah, no, no. We didn't have, do that one a lot. Have you maintained your bowling skill, Karen? Are you still? No, a, a, absolutely uh, not. You don't Although go roll? No, I, but not out of like not wanting to. It's sure. just that I don't think about going to go do it. Although like my partner has now multiple times been like, I really want to join like a local bowling league, but we only have like big bowling chains near us. So uh, I feel like the environment versus the experience that he wants are a bit at odds currently. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. You guys will just have to, you know, to do go back home for the holidays uh, hit the bowling alley and have a real Midwestern experience. Oh man. I haven't been bowling in Illinois, like since, uh, high school, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, you know, it's like riding a bike. It comes right back to you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and on that note, Mike is now going to, uh, to tell us a little bit about what was going on in 2003 outside of the multiplex and the bowling alley. Uh, here are headlines. Fun fact, the phrase bowling in Illinois tastes like a corn dog. <laughs> okay. Uh, 
I just want to start by saying that according to Wikipedia, 2003 was designated the, the International Year of the Fresh Water. I'm ah. not sure by who or what okay. the functional impact of that was, but it is a <laughs> thing that happened in 2003. Good to know. In January, uh, we received the last transmission from the Pioneer 10 spacecraft, launched in 1972, and one of the first five man-made objects to leave our solar system and create who knows what chaos on the other side. <laughs> uh, Whatever. That's not what we worry about. Uh, on a more somber note, the Space Shuttle Columbia disintegrated during re-entry on February 1st of 2003, oh, yeah. killing everyone on board. Yeah, so that was some shit space news. Well, all right. Uh, also in February... Uh, the it's Antwerp real bummed now. The whole rest of the show yeah. is a real downer. The Antwerp Diamond Heist was also in February when over $100 million in very fancy shit was stolen from a vault in Belgium in what was obviously a win for regular people everywhere. Jason, you know about the for Antwerp the Heist. the millionth right? time I can account for my whereabouts that <laughs> night, I want you to stop asking me about the fucking Antwerp Heist. Keep moving. I'll never believe you. Keep moving. That was... That was when Jason became in, got into yachting or whatever. Okay. Nothing to see here. <laughs> the Human Genome Project was completed in April, so that was very, very cool uh, and has obviously impacted our future. Yep. Um, th there was a huge blackout in the Northeast in Canada in August. Oh, shit. That was 03. Okay. You remember the blackout? I remember yep. hearing that about it. I wasn't in New York yet. Were you? You were, though. Yes. It uh, left me stranded in the Holland Tunnel for five hours in a stolen production van, so that sucked. Um, <laughs> but also, all the ice cream shops in New York City were giving away their ice cream because their freezers were off. So that passed the time, Yay. kept everybody's mood. I think it's one of those, like, it's a little known fact of New York City history that the ice cream shops kept everybody from rioting. Yeah. Uh, in August of 2003. It was August. It was fucking hot. Yeah. 4chan was launched in 2003. Oh, wow. So no. that didn't end up too great. Uh, but for the most part, 2003 was dominated by the invasion of Iraq in March, right. uh, back when Dick Cheney could do pretty much whatever he wanted, and yeah. Donald Rumsfeld had to be treated like a serious person because... <sighs> He was running the most powerful military in history. Uh, as everyone knows by now, they made up a bunch of nonsense to justify the invasion and mm -hmm. then barreled in with their dicks out, having learned nothing from recent or ancient history. Uh, they knocked out the Iraqi military pretty quickly and then disbanded it. So everybody went and joined militias and we dealt with that for yep. the next decade. Yep. But in 2003, people were still acting incredulous if anyone suggested it wasn't going to be all baklava and rosewater over there. Yep. Um, so that's sort of the environment that, that we were in. We lost an incredible list of people in 2003. Oh. So I'm going to do a, a quick obit. Uh, I'm going to read quickly and I'm going to skip a lot of them. Uh, no disrespect to everybody but Strom Thurmond. Uh, we lost Nell Carter, Johnny Paycheck. We lost Mr. Rogers, Nina Simone. June Carter Cash, Gregory Peck, Strom Thurmond, Catherine Hepburn, Buddy Hackett, Barry White, Compe Segundo, Celia Cruz, Bob Hope, Sam Phillips. Like, this is July. <laughs> Jacques DeRay, Gregory Hines, Wesley Willis, Charles Bronson, Warren Zevon, John Ritter, Johnny Cash, Elia Kazan, Elliot Smith, and Rod Roddy, who was better known as the off-screen game show announcer who gave us the phrase, come on down. So, we, so this was the year we lost both Cash and Hope, and that joke began to form. 
That's correct. All right. That would be 2003. Yep. Uh, The Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat the Raiders in the Super Bowl. The Florida Marlins beat the Yankees in the World Series. The San Antonio Spurs beat the Nets. So that was boring because it (laughs) featured Tim Duncan. Uh, Lance Armstrong won the Tour de France, but we all know how that worked out. Mike, for the millionth time, I can account for my whereabouts during the Tour de France. Serena Williams beat her sister Venus to win the Australia Open and at Wimbledon that Jesus. year. So that was a big uh, yeah. a big marker for the future. The Iditarod Trail Sled Dog Race was run by Robert Sorley of Norway behind lead dog Tip. I lost Tip so much teams. money. I lost so much money on that. <laughs> and there was a World Cup. Ah. The German women beat the Sweden women, the Swedish women, two to one. Okay, that's so, great news. Uh, 2003. And that's headlines. And now our guest, Karen Hahn, is going to give us her top five. Do you want to go five to one or one to five, Karen? Uh, I feel like one to five is probably more fun here okay, since we have great. not announced the movie yet. <laughs> there we go. All right. So, uh, so Karen, what is your number one favorite movie of the year 2003? I mean, it is The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Like, the I re- I shocking mean, news for everyone. Like, what's your favorite movie or what are your favorite movies? I'm always like, I don't like it feels like a cop out to say The Lord of the Rings, but they really are like some of my favorite movies. They are incredible and hugely meaningful to me. The eye of the enemy is moving. The end has come. Every day, Frodo moves closer to Mordor. How do we know Frodo is alive? What does your heart tell you? And why do you love the the these motion pictures so very very much? I don't think there's anything like wrong with them. Like there's no flaw <laughs> that I can pick out. But on top of that, I don't like they're just made very very earnestly. At least mm-hmm. in my viewing of it, like I feel like everyone involved with it was very on board to make the thing, and it feels. I mean, I'm sure there is studio involved, like studio interaction, studio notes to some degree, but that does not feel tangible in a way that isn't on a lot of other big films. The the thing that I've always found fascinating about these movies um, and, and sort of walk me back, I guess. And now we're going to dip into 2001 a tiny bit mm-hmm. uh, just to set the scene here. You know, were you a super big Lord of the Rings freak before the movies came out? Had you read the books? Was that sort of thing? Or were these films your introduction to that lore? Uh, I was already a Tolkien fan. I had not read The Lord of the Rings yet, but I was a big fan of The Hobbit because uh, my mom used to read it to me before I would go to sleep. Uh, and so I was already like a Hobbit freak. Mm-hmm. And then uh, this kind of came, the Fellowship like came along pretty naturally. I think I was still a little bit young for Fellowship when it came out because I remember I had nightmares about the Urukai. Um, but uh, as came one out does. at like a perfectly formative time. I mm-hmm. keep saying that, but it's still true. No, no, no. That's that's super important. The, because the thing that I'm always fascinated by about these movies is sort of what a risk Peter Jackson was. Yeah. Um, and how, you know, there was not a lot in that filmography that indicated not just the size, scale, scope of these films, but that specific quality you mentioned, the earnestness of it. Like he's got, you know, 
puppet fuck movies in his filmography. And yet, you know, this he takes really seriously and and really warmly, you know, what do you think it was about him as a director, both going in and then having seen what he did with them that made him so right for these films? I have no clue. But at the same time, like, yeah, his first movie was like a puppet folk movie, like you yeah. said. But also there's Heavenly Creatures, which I think is so far from what you would expect a filmmaker who made his first film to make. Right. And it's it kind of plays with the same things, I think, where it takes mm. like these young girl story really seriously, where the impulse is to either sensationalize it or just generally in culture to ignore what little girls care about. Um, but that like it foregrounds those concerns and foregrounds like their experiences. And I feel like emotionally that definitely taps into some of what he's doing in the Lord of the Rings. Although again, on a scale level, not at all comparable. Right, right, right. Um, Just out of curiosity, which of, Mm -hmm. of the Lord of the Rings films, if you had to pick one (sighs) is your favorite, it's impossible. They're just, it's all of a, it's all of a 12 hour piece. Yeah, I mean, I do usually say that, like, when people are like, name your three favorite movies. I'm like, I just will count all the Lord of the Rings as one of those, and I will name two other things. But because, like, I like all of them, and I think they excel in different ways. Okay. And do you have a favorite one? Um... <laughs> I don't know. I, I tend to think of them all together as well. Um, yeah. and it, because of the way that they all sort of connect to each other, it's, it is, it's very yeah. hard to, to pull one out. Where do you land on the Hobbit films? I think they're better than the critical reception was at the time, but I don't, I mean, obviously they don't live up to, they don't meet the bar that the Lord of the Rings film sets, but I think Peter Jackson is doing something funny. Like I feel similarly about his direction of the Hobbit movies that I do about um, oh Robert Zemeckis's late work where I'm like, I know that you are like <laughs> obsessed with cutting edge filmmaking technology and you yeah. want to use it in a good way, but yeah. that doesn't always mean that it works. Yeah. Like I remember watching one of the Hobbit movies in the old, what, what like is it the, called again? the 48 frame per second, like yeah, the high frame rate thing. It yeah. was like impossible to get on that wavelength it's impossible <laughs> to get on that wavelength. the only film that i felt like ever well i haven't seen billy lynn's long halftime walk but i thought jim don't watch it okay uh, doesn't but, work doesn't work at all oh okay but gemini man i thought it didn't not work okay or at least it worked better than it did in the hobbit movies like I, the degree to which they were using like prosthetics and stuff it did not lend itself to that format that I I could see, and then are 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 you a fan of the uh, of the new Amazon uh, Lord of the Rings series? Um, I really think that House of the Dragon just totally ate its lunch. Fair, fair, poorly poorly timed to put those out into the world at the same time. I, yeah. All right, Karen Hahn, what is your number two favorite movie of the year of our Lord two thousand three? Uh, my number two, <laughs> the year of our Lord, the number two pick. Uh. I could say that I picked it specifically because my book is about Bong Joon-ho, but um, I picked Memories of Murder, which is his second movie. And I do genuinely think incredible movie. Um, mm. I, it's not my number two slot for uh, bias reasons here. Hey, <laughs> 
And for those who haven't seen it, because it's, you know, it, it is, like you say, early in the filmography and sort of before he was the name here that he became, what is Memories of Murder about and sort of what does it do that's that's unique? So Memories of Murder is loosely based on South Korea's first serial killer case, uh, which was unsolved for a really, really long time, literally until Parasite's press tour was happening. They caught oh the God. killer. Um, but yeah, it's about the serial murder case. Uh, and it's a sort of fictionalized version of it um, with Song Kang-ho and uh, Kim Sang-kyung starring as two detectives trying to solve this case. And on a surface level, it really is just you don't really need to know the historical context. You just think it's about two cops trying to solve a case. Uh, but these events take place around the time that Korea was becoming a democracy and the struggles and revolution that was happening around that point is all playing out in the background of this film. And it's very easy to miss if you aren't paying attention for it or if you aren't looking for it. But it is it does work as a social commentary um, as well as this very, very tight crime thriller. I mean, I'm going to state the most obvious fucking thing imaginable to someone who wrote an entire book on it, but <laughs> I think, I really do think that's what's miraculous about yeah. all of his yes, stuff, absolutely. is that that duality is so present in every single film, where it's like, if you know the, if you, you know, the, there are these s satirical, sometimes savage social commentary, but like, even if you're not tuned into that, they're also doing a surface genre thing yeah. beautifully. Like, he's such a skilled craftsman that you almost don't have to know that stuff. But if you do, it gives it so much more um, dimension. Yeah, his films really only get more rewarding the more you rewatch them or try to learn about them. And it's so, I think it's really worth, like, studying his work in the face of, like, contemporary demands for cinema where... I don't know, like there's a lot more demand for handholding, not necessarily from the audience, but definitely from an executive standpoint, I feel like where they're yeah. like, oh, so what's the message? Like, how can we right. have a moral for this? And I wouldn't really say that any of Bong's films are moralizing to that degree. Like there always is some kind of moral or lesson that he's kind of dancing around, but nothing where he's like, there's no absolutes in his work, really. Right. Like the detective right. that Song Gang Ho plays, his whole thing is like, I have a shaman's eyes. If I look at someone, I can tell that they're lying. And the other detective, his whole thing is documents never lie. Like the, the science, the facts, they never lie. Right. And that's what we have to rely on. And by the end of the movie, they've totally switched. Whereas Song Gang Ho is like now desperate to see the DNA test results. And the other detective is like, no, I can tell that this guy's the killer. I'm going to kill him. And they just keep, spiraling and it is it's mm. interesting to hear bong talk about having talked to the actual detectives who are involved in the serial killer case where he was like i he doesn't he's definitely a man who does not really have sympathy for cops as he was a student protester when he was in college right. but he was saying like there's still something really sad about watching these quote-unquote like badass men like break down and cry over this huge failure in their lives mm. Mm. god yeah, that's intense. That's like, uh, I'll tell you what, folks, if uh, Karen's right that these films do get richer uh, and more textured, the more you know of the background and the sort of historical context. And luckily for you, all of that background and historical <laughs> context can be found in one easy volume uh, available now wherever fine books are sold. Karen, what is movie number three? 
for the year 2003. Movie number three is Richard Linklater's School of Rock. I am a huge Richard Link. I'm a huge Richard Linklater fan, and I think this yes. movie is perfect. We're taking the battle of the band seriously this year. Good, because I need the money. You're out. You know what? I'm gonna form my own band, and we are gonna start a revolution. Come on, man. One show, $20,000 prize. I mean, don't you miss rocking out? Maybe it's time to give up those dreams. I did, and things are going really great for me. Temping. I'm not a temp, I'm a sub, and soon I'll be a certified teacher. Is this Mr. Schneebly? I'm the principal here at Horace Green Prep, and we need somebody to start immediately. So how much are we talking here? Six fifty a week. Hello, this is Ned Schneebly. Perfect. Well, close. A... Uh, the Sarah Silverman <laughs> character is not great, but I would say everything uh, else. That was the only thing I had. That was the only, <laughs> only yeah. thing that caused, paused me yeah. in my tracks there. But yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, and the thing that I remember so much about when this movie came out, well, first of all, I, I guess we should, because I, I sort of missed this on the last one. When did you first see Memories of Murder? Um, Memories of Murder, I would definitely have seen a few years after it came out, because I remember the right. first Bong movie ever came that I saw was The Host, and that was on DVD. So it right. would have been after that. Yeah. Right. But all the rest of the films on the list are all things you saw, like, in that Illinois multiplex, in that original theatrical release? I don't think that I saw School of Rock, uh, Memories of Murder, or the fourth film in theaters. Mm. I think okay. I saw the fifth one in theaters, and I know I saw the first one in theaters multiple times. Of course. Obviously. So I'm not a I chump. Of course it. I'm going to go see Return of the King multiple times in theaters. <laughs> Get real. So I remember just that, like, you know, I remember going to High Fidelity its opening weekend mm -hmm. and the sort of like thunderclap of Jack Black in that movie. <sighs> Jack Black is a star. He's a born star. He is. And that is a star maker performance. Yeah. Like that is like Nicholson and Easy Rider level <laughs> of like, if you can't become a star and steal the movie with this role, then you're worthless. But, you know, there's always this kind of lag between when things come out and when the offers start happening and how long it takes mm -hmm, to. Mm -hmm. So, so I remember this just being a huge deal when it came out because it was like, finally, this is sort of like the Jack black, the Jack black vehicle, like yeah. the Jack black movie, the way that like you would see a WC fields movie or like an <laughs> Abbott and Costello movie. Like this is yeah. a Jack black movie yeah. and that it had so clearly been catered to that specific persona, mm -hmm. even to the extent that like it's a musician and, you know, and he was able yeah. to do a lot of, that stuff from High Fidelity. What is so delightful to you about School of Rock? I think not a not a small part of it is due to Jack Black's performance. Like he yeah. is a terrific actor, and I think is really kind of let loose here. Like because he he's a terrific musician as well. When he sings, it's like it's easy to forget that he's both like a a really good like dramatic actor like he's not just funny or silly he's very very right. earnest and good and the same goes for his music like he has an incredible voice he mm -hmm. he's a joy to listen to and you can feel that i mean i feel like a school setting was kind of perfect for it in this sense where it's like all these totally. kids are also really really good and right i don't know it takes the sort of like misfits banding together story in a way that doesn't feel really saccharine or otherwise like really overdone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of that too, a lot of that aspect aspect of it, and this struck me, you know, when I first saw it in the theater, mm -hmm. uh, 
that is, I think, a lot of what Linklater brings to it. Yeah, you know, like absolutely. Un- under just about any competent director, like Jack Black's going to be great in that movie because that script is is so catered to him. But Mike White, the, the sort, yes, yes. I when is Jack that Black going to be on the White Lotus? I'm ready. I'm he ready for to. it. Well, I mean, he doesn't have to, but I would really like it. <laughs> you can. No, you can plant your flag on that. You can. He has to. You can. You can be that forceful Look, about I'll it. Look, I'll tweet fine. it out You're... right now. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> but I feel like the Linklater touch, you know, that sort of lightness. Yeah. But uh, that sort of grounding in a, a, in a very specific reality is why the stuff with the kids never feels remotely cutesy saccharine yeah. all of the sort of like cute kid shit that 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 can so easily happen with a movie like if that. anything i think it ties into what we were saying about the return of the king and that it's a very earnest thing like or it takes the mm-hmm. plight of these people very seriously like in heavenly creatures where it's like these kids aren't a joke like their yeah. concerns about their lives like they're all played very seriously and jack black takes it seriously which i think is even more important like he's not poking fun at them when he's teaching them he really like wants to take care of them yeah and and a lot of you know i think a lot of really good actors can fall victim to sort of um talking down to to kid characters and to kid actors and you never get that from him he's Mm. always pitching it right at him yeah uh God, see, this is the thing. Like, I didn't have to rewatch a bunch of stuff for this one, like we sometimes do on the older ones. But now I just want to, I you know, I didn't have to to watch stuff for the first time. But now I want to go rewatch School of Rock as soon as we're done. I could watch School um, of Rock like every day. It's wonderful. Pretty much. Pretty much. Also, the songs are, are really good. <laughs> they are. <laughs> Teachers, but like, if it was on Spotify, it would be my number one most listened to. <laughs> coming up on the rap every single oh, year yeah. my spotify rap is embarrassing every year i don't know if you know this but it's just the truth <laughs> i do i've paid attention oh boy um <laughs> what karen is your number four pick for the year uh 2003 my number four pick and i think apropos of the holiday season is john favreau's elf let's recite the code of the elves shall we the best way to spread christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear buddy's discovering who he really is you're not like the rest of us i was sure when you cracked six feet that it would come up my bad you're not an elf I think it's great. It's a nice Christmas movie. And I think one of the only like relatively recent Christmas movies that I'm inclined to rewatch. Like nothing. I don't think anything, any other recent Christmas movie. I'm like, oh yeah, that's like going to go on my Christmas list every year. But Elf, I'm like, I must watch this every year on Christmas or I will (laughs) perish. And what do you love so much about it? Um, I mean, I think well not to echo what i was saying about school of rock but i think it does sort of come down to will ferrell's performance i think he is also a very underrated actor i feel like both he and jack black fall into a category where like oh they're the silly guy but he's genuinely very very good and takes it seriously which i think is why he's funny especially in something like this where he is the butt of the joke just thinking of stuff like stranger than fiction where like he gives a very very like empathetic and wonderful performance and he's capable of that and he's capable of this um and also the soundtrack's very good they really picked all the christmases (laughs) well and this was the first movie i had seen 
Zooey Deschanel in other stuff. Like she'd been in Almost Famous a couple mm-hmm. of years earlier, so forth. Like I recognized her, but I had no idea that she was a singer. And then like that first <laughs> scene where she's singing, I'm like, is that her? Did they dub in like a real singer? Because she's incredible. Yeah, I I had watched this like post her uh, Manic Pixie Dream Girl arc and gotcha. post her like being in She and Him. So I already was aware. If anything, it was weird to watch this and be like, wow, look at like pre-branded Zoe Deschanel. <laughs> no, but I think you're right. I think it's actually I never thought of these two films in tandem, but they are actually kind of a double feature because they a lot of what they're doing, uh, they're doing well, they're doing in similar ways. And yeah, this, yeah. again is interesting to look at sort of where it falls in a career because, you know, this is when Favreau was still the comedy guy. He was not yeah. the, uh, the, the, the blockbuster maker yet. Yeah, he was not the Iron Marvel Man. guy. He yeah. was, yeah, he was not the star Wars guy. He was none of that. Um, he had made like, you know, swingers and made, and then this, and uh, I think this is my favorite the, of his movies, which I don't think is not a compliment. Like it's good. No. Yeah. It's very good. James Caan, um, really good at it. <laughs> oh my God. Talk about committing to the work and not looking yeah. down at the, at the family film. Like there's real, there's genuine kind of scary James Caan in that character. <laughs> um, but yeah, I know what you mean about more recent holiday films. I think they all seem very calculated. Right, right. To, to generate yearly revenue. Right, like the Christmas um, element comes before the character element, which I'm sure is not not the case in how Elf was formulated, but sure. it's like written well enough that mm-hmm. it gets around it. Yeah, no, that totally tracks. All right, here we are. Here we here, here we are we at the go. end of the list. I told you you didn't with... have to watch it for this. I said I would give you a pass, and you said no. I will watch it. How could I not? How could I resist the opportunity after all these years, after nearly 20 years of avoiding this movie to finally, <laughs> I, cause I want to know now, I want to know what you see. I want to know okay. what you love. Karen, what is your number five favorite movie of <laughs> all of 2003? It is the league of extraordinary gentlemen. Their powers are legendary. at stake they'll be the world's last hope and the game is on when i was in the, at that age at that the time, film that made sean connery yes, quit that's making correct. movies yeah he hated it so much <laughs> my wife loves this movie <laughs> My, this movie is on in my house at, at least once every six to eight weeks. This Good for on. her. Good for her is what I have to say. I agree with her entirely. I'm pretty sure I wrote a piece at some point that was like, it's not bad, I swear. Um, I I think it might have been for Polygon. Um, but really, like it came out at the perfect time for me, I think, where I was... Not that I did not have a critical eye at this point, but because there it, are so many individual details in the movie that i really really like 
that uh, a lot of the stuff that is bad about it, I would say I was willing to give a pass at that point. Mm-hmm. For instance, I think the stuff that they were doing with the Invisible Man and with Jekyll and Hyde is really, really fun. Um, for like the Jekyll and Hyde stuff is also, I think, particularly weird because um, of the CGI that they put on Jason Fleming. But I also think Jason Fleming is really good. This was the this is the uh, source of I would say three of my big crushes at that point, which is Tony Curran, uh, Jason Fleming, and Richard Roxburgh. Um, and I thought the, the I'm just like I'm rattling Karen's off. Boys. The, you can't. I haven't <laughs> thought about Karen's boys in so long. I know. I haven't talked about it as much. I think because like too many people Listeners. in like work meetings were talking to me about it, and I was like, I can't like keep doing this. <laughs> this can't be my brand. But also, um, like I I do keep tweeting about how I would risk it all for Tim Blake Nelson. So it's like he will see this <laughs> at some point, probably if I ever work with him. But whatever. Listeners should know that there was a certain point yeah. in, in in Karen's rise in the world of social media <laughs> where she was perhaps best known for her um, unconventional crushes. Yeah, and... my first crush was Hugo Weaving. Like, that's just the way it is. It's just the way. It... Well, you could say it was Scar and then Radigan from the Grace Mount, Great Mouse Detective. But like for... <laughs> uh and god bless you god bless you for it um so so three big crushes yes uh come out of this one all the stuff they're doing with nemo i think is really thoughtful and cool the nautilus design is awesome the ship is amazing the car is amazing and the recontextualization of that character i think is really fun even if they don't do if they don't focus on him as much as they do like fucking tom sawyer um and uh (laughs) tom sawyer is a huge weakling in this movie let's all admit it um well let's all admit that shane west is a huge weakling weakling in this movie like i when i I was watching it with a friend um the other day and i referred to shane west as uh uh bargain bin vanderbeek and i stand by that himself particularly well in this movie and neither does sean connery but hit but sean connery is like funny in this movie i would say just because his lines are like so uh quote-unquote jokes (laughs) yes quips he's quippy yeah also, I think Peta Wilson is really great as uh, Mina Harker. It's a fun revisiting of that character. I don't know. All the individual elements in this, It's this was like my Twilight, if that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> for tech, where I was like, that's very, oh, that, like- that, that's really well put. That's very, uh, really yeah. succinct. <laughs> get it? Understood. Did you, were you a bookish, were you a bookish child, Karen? Uh, yes, I would say that. Yes. Okay. Because that, it, the, <laughs> I can see how a bookish child would enjoy this uh, sort of <laughs> monster rally of all of the, this all was the of their first, uh, cinematic universe. I think I was aware of. <laughs> there you go. Where they took a lot of characters, but in fairness, this also did push me to seek out the graphic novels, which I don't think I was really old enough to read at that point. That I did take them out. <laughs> I was like, oh, there's a lot of dark stuff happening in here that did not happen in the movies. Um, yeah. Uh, I I mean. I don't think it it doesn't take it takes itself very seriously, which arguably mm-hmm. is to its detriment. But I think is a good thing in the same way that it is in the other movies that we've talked about, where it's like mm-hmm. if you played this like Deadpool, it would be worse, like by a significant. No, no, no. Good camp cannot be played as camp. Yes. Like, yes. So there we have it. All the right. Fun- well, let's. Uh... Good. It's awesome. I don't, what what's not to like about this movie? 
Thank you, Karen, for this enthusiastic No one is making case. a contrary argument that I can hear, so I think I'm right. Fair enough. I think I've won. Fair enough. So, to revisit, Karen's top five is Lord of the Rings, it's Return of the King. It's under two hours. Memories of murder. <laughs> keep, keep, keep yelling virtues it while I read the rest of the, the list. at the box office. School of Rock in third place. Fourth place, Elf. And then number the Phantom five. Phantom of the Opera is kind of in this. The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Well, well played. They're stealing Leonardo da Vinci's blueprints of Venice's foundation in the opening of this movie. They robbed the Bank of England. It's amazing. They blew up a Zeppelin factory. What doesn't sound good? <laughs> and on that note, Mike, <laughs> let's uh, let's take a look at what was winning awards and winning the weekends at the box office in the year two thousand three. I mean, the car is dope too. Like, it's we're, so cool. Being honest. <laughs> it should be up there with the Batmobile. It's just that this movie is qualitatively not as good as the Tim Burton Bat movies. Anyway, I feel like Mike. Mike, I feel like you should just call your wife in and we should turn the rest of the hour over to, to this Morgan This is now an Karen. LXP podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What was winning awards, Mike? Sell out with me. Oh, yeah. Sell out with me tonight. Oscar winners for 2003. The Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, baby. Won for Best Picture, oh, yeah. Best Director, and Best Adapted Screenplay. When I get that movie sad, got some love. I do I Google do image searches of the of those of that Oscar ceremony to watch all of those guys up on the stage with their Oscars. This is not a joke. They look so happy. They really do. Like <laughs> yeah, the happiest nerds that have ever nerded. And it was I a lot of work. Of it was just a lot of work. The uh, Mystic River won Best Actor for Sean Penn and Best Supporting Actor for Tim Robbins. Karen, thoughts on Mystic River? Uh, it's no LXG. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all that needs to be said about that. Uh, best Actress went to Charlize Theron for Monster. She was good. What do we think of Monster, Karen? I actually haven't seen it. You know, it's a good performance. It's a very I believe good performance. it. I've seen clips and it's... I'm like, oh, yeah. But also, I feel like I need to be in the right state of mind to watch that movie. No, it's it's it certainly won't lift your spirits the mm -hmm. way LXG does. Yeah, um, I feel terrific after this. I can do laps yeah. after LXG. Fair enough. It's a hell of a character. It is one of those like genuinely compelling characters that yeah. doesn't come along that often. Um, and she does it justice. Yep. Uh, supporting actress went to Renee Zellweger for Cold Mountain. Oh, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, moving on from that. Uh, best original screenplay and the BAFTA for Best Actor and Best Actress to Scarlett Johansson for Lost in Translation. I guess she won the. She didn't win the. Uh, no, the sorry, that, award. That was confusing. The way I read that. <laughs> sorry, uh, it won a lot of awards. Was the point, uh, Karen? Yep. How do you feel about Lost in Translation? Um, I feel like I'm like I'm like sure. I've seen it and I thought <laughs> it was all right. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I feel like all the stuff that I could say about it has sort of already been said about it. About sure. its like take on Japan or Asia in general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I Moving thought it was on. kind of exactly what you thought it was going to be in oh. both the good and sort of yeah, yeah. boring, yep. right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. 
Finding Nemo won the Oscar for Best Animated Film. Great. Makes me cry. Ah, yeah. I feel like there were probably other very good things nominated that year, but how can you be mad at Finding Nemo, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the Oscar for Best Foreign Film went to The Barbarian Invasions. Which I still haven't seen. Memories of Murder's right there. It, it's true. What was in the uh, what was in the box office top 10? Uh, uh, 10 to 1. Here we go. Number 10, Bad Boys 2. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, remember? Remember no. Bad Boys 2? <laughs> yeah it made some money yep. isn't that kind of the best thing you can say about it though yep. i don't know yes, i don't yes, yeah yep. uh number nine went to x2 oh. which if you don't remember is x-men 2 yes that's that's the actual title karen mm-hmm. uh did you see uh x2 at your local multiplex in look if we're talking about comic book movies i do think league of extraordinary gentlemen is better fair enough number eight Matrix Revolutions. God, oh, this, this list is that rules. Yeah, that. Oh, you're you're a revolutions uh, booster, are you? All three of that trilogy. I'm like, great. <laughs> yeah. This was I. This was a big deal because this was the year they they filmed the second and third back to back, and they mm-hmm. both came out in 2003. Uh, Reloaded came out in the summer. Revolutions came out in the fall. I much preferred Reloaded to Revolutions, which I think uh, kind of gets a little boggy. That's fair. But let me bit. remind you, my first crush is Hugo Weaving. Fair enough. A lot, lot of... <laughs> in fact, the second one... Was the second one the one that had uh, all of the Hugo Weavings in the one scene? Uh, I think it's the third one, isn't it? Interesting. Interesting. Alright, fair enough. But That's anyway, anywhere he is, I'm yes. like, yes. You're ready to go. All right. Get me in there. Number seven, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Eh, eh, eh. <laughs> That's what Karen? I'm saying. I feel like this whole list is like people walking out of the theater like, eh, eh. It's just It feels like it's like big titles that will get people to go to yeah. the theaters. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much. Number six, The Last Samurai. Okay. I like the last samurai some. It's yeah. got some stuff. It's, it's like got some good better stuff. than uh it's on paper description. Yes. <laughs> yes. And Edswick can like put a battle scene together. He can mm-hmm, put mm-hmm. he can he can stage those big set pieces or at least could at that point in his career. Mm-hmm. Number 5, Bruce Almighty. Ah. <laughs> I that was huge. It was a huge hit, Karen. It was number five for the year. It was ahead That's of wild. a Matrix movie, an X-Men movie, and That's a Bad wild. Boys movie. It's We loved a good Jim Carrey gimmick comedy That's in so, the early, really do late 90s, early 2000s. He could. He could open a subpar, not terribly funny comedy like Bruce Almighty. Hmm. Moving on. Wasn't that? Do you think that was still sort of of riding on Ace Ventura fumes, or like? No, what? no, no. That one was that one was riding on liar liar fumes, is what that mm. was. That was the similar oh. sort of like you know this is a novelty uh, joke, and we're going to stretch that that one joke premise as thin as we can. <laughs> and also, people wanted to see Morgan Freeman as God. Like, I'm not kidding. Yeah, that was a yeah. huge deal. It was. I remember out. that. I remember that. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, at least something about that delivered. Yep. Uh, number four, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. Karen. 
Yeah, this is on my honorable mentions list. Yeah. I know. I know. Gore forever. I love Gore Verbinski. I think he's great. I hope he's having a nice day. <laughs> <laughs> like, genuinely. That's sweet. That's very sweet. Number three, Matrix Reloaded. Great. As, as yep. Now, that, again, some of it doesn't work, but anything in that movie that doesn't work is forgiven by the highway chase scene, as far as I'm concerned, which is like one of the great action set pieces of the 2000s. That's just my two cents on that one. Yeah. The twins are wild. A wild yes. addition. Yes, that's true, too. I forgot about the twins. Oh, my God. Yeah, horrifying. Okay, moving <laughs> on. Uh, number two, Finding Nemo. Hey, oh, well, great. Good, good, cute, cry. Yeah. Yeah. And number one, say it with me. Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. This is a first for us, Mike. Um, in all of the episodes we've done, and we've done more than will have aired by the time this go up, this is the first time that we have had an episode where the number one movie of the year at the box office mm -hmm. not only won the Oscar for Best Picture, but was on the guest top five list. Like, that is an extremely rare bit of crossover Return uh, of the King got the hat trick. It was That's just a, a magical year. Hat trick. It was, it's a magical, wow. magical year for cinema, specifically because of the Return of the King. <laughs> the the very good year hat trick. Thank you, Mike, because the the sports yeah. uh, expressions are not always at my fingertips. Yes, <laughs> it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal to get the hat trick. All right, Karen. Yes. Are you ready for a lightning round? Okay. Okay. Here's what we'll do. Mike's going to put 10 minutes on the clock. Uh, I've got a, a pretty healthy list here of, uh, of other movies that we have not mentioned yet that came out in the year 2003. Uh, on each of them, if you have a few words to say, say a few words. If you only have a word or two to say, that's fine too. And if you did not see it or have not seen it or do not care to talk about it, then feel free to pass and okay. we'll move on. All right. All right. Lightning round, 10 minutes on the clock, and here we go. Bend it like Beckham. Love it. I think it's great. It was on my honorable mentions list that I sent to you prior to this recording because I think it's really good. Uh, um, the lead actress should have broken out more in the wake of this rather than Keira Knightley. Like she's also, Keira Knightley is also really great in this movie. But uh, Parmita Nagra should have been a megastar after this. I agree. Uh, okay, you sent me the fancy French title, but I know the film as yeah. the triplets of Belleville. <laughs> yeah, I don't speak French, so you may you may say it in the 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 proper French title if you'd like. Uh, I took French in college, but I wouldn't say that I'm good at it. Uh, Le triplet, mm. Le triplet de Belleville. That is like me doing a terrible impression of a French person, but no, that was that sounded way better than mine would have. So, um, but it's a. I mean, I just keep saying it's a good movie about all of these, but it is really good. It's in it, it, it's animated like the guy's style is so singular. Like the thing, one of the main things that I remember about the movie is like how huge the leg muscles on all the cyclists are. Like it's such a choice and it's so funny. Um, and it's a totally musical movie and the music right. is like a little unsettling. Like it's a little weird and unsettling and I like it for that. And the, the animation style is as well, I would say. Uh, Tom McCarthy's the station agent. Uh, have not seen it. Ooh, Dinklage. Wonderful movie. Um, Wonderful movie. 
Underworld. That was one of those ones that like I had to see because of all the the video store nerds that I knew. <laughs> so like it was a real like you know oh bro this is so amazing it was like it was set up in a really wonderful way and um, uh, but it actually paid off you know yeah I have heard only don't often about it. Underworld. Uh, something that I watched with all of my teen friends at a sleepover, and we became obsessed with the series immediately and watched all the movies, and it was great. They are very silly and very fun. Fair enough. Um, Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World. Uh, iconic movie. I can't wait for the sequel, although I have no idea what's going on with it. Okay. Uh, Kill Bill Volume 1. Great. Someone recently was like, Oren Ishii like puts Asian representation backwards. And I was like, if anything, like if we could all be like her, the world would be better. She's awesome. Anyway. (laughs) Do you prefer volume one or volume two? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. Do you have a preference? I like, see, I'm a little bit of a softy, so I like the pathos of sort of towards the end yeah, of volume fair. two and the stuff with the daughter. Yeah, yeah. So I like that move. I, I like, I think, here we go. I think Kill Bill <laughs> volume two is a better film. Mm-hmm. I think Kill Bill volume one is a better movie because like, it's full of movie shit. It's like big grindhouse set pieces and That's shit. True. That's true. It's more take. like fun, I guess. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, Love Actually. Look, I still like it. I will still sometimes watch it around Christmas. I know like the popular thing on the internet now is to say it's a piece of shit, but I like it a lot. It also was the reason that I developed a crush on Bill Nye, who was like, I would say my number two big crush after Hugo Weaving. Um, So this, it was also hugely formative for me. I was like, wow, who is this man? I'm going to tell you a secret, Karen. Okay. Uh, I made sure to get it on the uh, on the lightning round because I had a feeling that <laughs> confession was forced. Literally for my 13th birthday, my fr- well, maybe it wasn't 13, but it was like in my teens. My friends, for my birthday, their presents to me were, number one, a little Pirates of the Caribbean merch pen that had the little Davy Jones head on it. And also they printed out a bunch of pictures of Bill Nye in a giant computer paper collage. And that was their present to me, like a giant poster <laughs> of Bill Nye pictures. And that was- What good friends you had. Yeah, this I know, explains, right? They watched so um, much. What's the the TV miniseries that he did? The the girl in the cafe. I forced them <laughs> to watch it with me, and they did. <laughs> These are very good friends. Yeah. Uh, Down with love. Oh, great movie! It's so fun, so stylish, and I also just like it whenever David Hyde Pierce is on my screen. Fair enough. Bad Santa. I haven't seen it, although like I Billy Bob Thornton I like, but uh, I just haven't seen that movie because I I don't know I yeah not no particular reason for me not having seen it. Karen, it's the holiday season, and I highly recommend uh, watching Bad. Highly Santa recommend. In next, okay, in the next month or so. All right. Ang Lee's Hulk. Look, I think he's a little genius, and I think the Hulk is fun. Every time I watch it, I'm like, this is bonkers. And I have a great time. All the stuff that he does with like the comic panels and the clip that goes viral, I would say once every eight months of the explosion and the guy flying out at the screen. It's it's great. Like it it goes viral for a reason. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just I think someone should get on his Wikipedia page and put in like Lil Genius. As, the picture uh, of him like eating an In-N-Out burger after whatever the Oscar, whichever Oscar ceremony <laughs> is like, I have considered making that my uh, iPhone wallpaper. It's good. It's so good. 
The Freaky Friday remake. Oh, it's so fun. There's nothing wrong with it. Like, it does exactly what it's supposed to, which I think is... Which is why I think I like a lot of movies that people would say are pieces of crap. But it's like they do what they're supposed to do, and it, they do it well. And also, Jamie Lee Curtis is so funny in it. She's like unimpeachably good. Yeah, yeah, it's a terrific comic performance. She's a queen. Uh, yeah, I've seen it a, a fair number of times now that I have a nine-year-old girl. <laughs> yeah. Um, Looney Tunes back in action from director Joe Dante. Oh, I don't think I've seen that. <sighs> okay, you should. You'll like. It. <laughs> okay, I will. Um, Whale Rider. I liked it a lot at the time. I feel like the legacy has sort of soured on it for reasons I'm not clear about in, in the immediate moment. But I, thinking back on it, I'm not like, oh, Whale Rider changed my life. Like I like just had a good time watching it. I think in class or something at that yeah. point. I feel I, I have a very clear memory of crying at the end of Whale Rider. Yeah. I'm a pretty easy cry at the movies, yeah. but I remember that one really getting like, me. Keisha Castle Hughes, like she's really good in it. Yeah, she is. Yeah, Karen, have you seen Geely? Martin Brest Geely, starring Ben Affleck and J-Lo. I, I keep right. thinking about it because they're back in the news. Did you see the like the video that she posted recently to her Instagram with him sure like still chewing gum? And I was like, yeah. this is great. I love them. Yeah. Them getting back together, I think, is my favorite piece of celebrity news from this year, where I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and also the fact that like she can only change him so much. He will still be yes. chewing his gum like a jerk he in her Instagram post. He will be a meathead forever, but a lovable one. I love it. I'm obsessed with them. <laughs> Christopher Guest's A Mighty Wind. Oh, it's so lovely. I really like Christopher Guest's movies. I like his sense of humor. I think all the songs in that movie are really great. Are great. Um, yeah, they're wonderful. Uh, and yeah. I refute that. Yeah, it's, it's a good movie. All of his movies are like a delight. Nancy Myers' Something's Gotta Give. I have not seen it. Okay, you're fine. Okay. Um, the Farrelly Brothers stuck on you. Also, have not seen that. You're fine. Um, <laughs> F. Gary Gray's The Italian Job remake. Oh, I remember watching that in the theater. I thought it was a lot of fun, and it definitely made me fixate on Mini Coopers for about two months. You and the rest of America, if yeah. memory serves. It was. Hard I like The Italian Job a lot. Yeah, I'm a sucker for a heist picture. I think it's a really well made one. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just in, really enjoyable. Um, Neil Jordan's In America. I have not seen. Mona Lisa Smile. Also have not seen. 21 Grams. Did not see. I feel like a lot of these are like in the cusp of like a teenage person would not be interested in them or would not be allowed to go see them. So that's what Fair. a lot of these passes are for, Fair. I think. Here, this may correct that. Legally Blonde 2, Red, White, and Blonde. Oh, I actually haven't seen this because I had not seen the original Legally Blonde at that point. That that makes sense. Um, okay, well, here's a good movie for teens. 13 from from uh, Catherine Hardwick, <laughs> director of the aforementioned Twilight. Have you seen 13? <laughs> no, I've not seen 13. <clears throat> I, I don't think you would have been allowed. going on 30, which is a great movie for teens. I, I, it and did not, unfortunately, come out in 2003. Yeah. Uh, Tim Burton's Big Fish. Oh, devastating movie. Um, devastating. Well, yeah, I cried. I remember I cried a lot watching it. I really liked it. And I haven't seen it since my dad died. And now I'm very reluctant mm. to watch it again for that reason. Mm -mm. <laughs> Jason mm -mm. is shaking his head emphatically. And I think you're no. right. Yeah. I lost a dad recently. And there were some movies that <sighs> I made poor choices about. Oh, in yeah. The aftermath of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, why did I do this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really bad. I, I, I watched the Royal Tenenbaums not long after my wow. dad died. And yeah. when it got to... um. It's been a rough year, Dad. 
Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> we'll close it out with uh, Shanghai Nights. Have you oh, seen Shanghai Nights? I saw Nights? this, I would say, within the last five years because I became obsessed with Aiden Gillen because of Game of Thrones. And I was like, I will watch everything this man is in. And that included Shanghai Nights. So that's why I saw it. Karen. <laughs> All of the everything. I love you watched a Jackie Chan, Owen Wilson movie several years after the fact. Yes. For Aiden Gillen. <laughs> that's correct. Yeah. And he's not good in this movie, I would say. <laughs> and on that note, we close out our lightning round. Nothing that I've said in this entire episode has been like insightful or useful. It's all like, here's this Wrong. old man that I had a crush on. <laughs> Wrong. That is insight. That is both okay. insightful and useful. Okay. Thank so, you. So beautiful. All right. <laughs> nice work on the lightning round. Good, solid lightning round. It was like, I was um, like 50-50. <laughs> you did the good. You had a good, good average. It was okay. Um, before we go, uh, first of all, tell us a bit about Bong Joon-ho Dissident Cinema, about what the book is, how it works, and how you ended up writing it. Yeah. Um, so I assume that if you're listening to this podcast, you're a cinephile to some degree, and you may be familiar with the books that Adam Naiman and Hannah Strong have written for Abrams slash Little White Lies. There are these monographs about directors. Um, Adam wrote about David Fincher, uh, the Coen brothers. Hannah recently released her book on Sofia Coppola. And I was very graciously approached by the Little White Lies team to do the Bong book. Um, and so like those other books, the structure is basically like a chapter is devoted to each of the director's films doing a critical analysis. Um, I also have a chapter that is just on his short film and music video work. And then we have a bunch of interviews um, with some of his collaborators. Sorry, I had a burp. <laughs> and market Mike. No. Yeah, delete that, please. Um, and it's, I don't know, I had a really fun time writing it. We got really wonderful people to talk to me for the book. We got, uh, let me see if I can remember them all at once. We have Tilda Swinton, we have Choi Woo-sik, Hong Kyung-pyo, uh, Choi Tae-young, uh, Jung Jae-il, and um, Yang Jin-mo uh, all spoke to me for this book. And I would say, wow. even if you don't care about my writing at all, like please read the interviews with them because they're so insightful and so generous with what they're willing to say about their work. Um, and the book also includes a very beautiful forward by the filmmaker David Lowry. So there is a lot uh, to hopefully like in it. And it comes out on November 22nd. So it will already be out by the time that you are listening to this. Beautiful. And you will be, as I understand, doing some promotion uh, for the book out here in my neck of the woods. Yeah, that's correct. I will be in New York the week of December 5th to do events. Um, as of recording... And we're not going to let you leave again. We're going we're to kidnap <laughs> you this time. We're not losing you to LA again. Oh, that would be wonderful. Um, the two events that have been announced already as of this recording, I am showing Barking Dogs Never Die... Oh my God. I am showing Barking Dogs Never... <laughs> I'm showing Barking Market. Dogs Never Bite at the Nighthawk uh, near Prospect Park on the night of the 6th. And I'm showing The Host at the Brooklyn Alamo Draft House on the 7th. Um, there are also events scheduled for the 5th and the 8th, uh, but they haven't been announced yet. So I don't want to, I guess, blow the horn on them yet. But fifth nights of the 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, there's bong events happening. So please come if you can. It's a bongorama here in New York City. Yeah. And also, if you're an L.A. listener, I am hoping to do some events in L.A. in February for the book. So watch out for those. Very, very good. All right. 
Karen, this was such a pleasure. Um, honestly, it was just nice to have an excuse to talk to you for an hour. Yeah, um, thank you so but, much for But I appreciate hearing about your... Uh, your formative <laughs> uh your formative midwest multiplex years this is a delight oh thank and you so much and the, the book is gorgeous and wonderful and it gets the uh the uh very good year seal of approval so pick that Aww. up for the <clears throat> for the, the you know every uh, cinephiles are hard to shop for and like it will be brand new yeah. whoever on your list will not have it yet pick it up gift it pick up a copy for yourself etc etc yeah um, karen if 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 people want to keep up with you and also hear about the not yet quite announced events mm-hmm. uh what is their best way to keep track of you on the world wide web um i am currently on twitter and instagram i am on twitter at karen y han and i'm on instagram at the karen han uh and i will be posting about the events there um i i, I mean we're we're chatting in the time of like Twitter being a big question mark, but as long as it's functioning, <laughs> yeah. I will be posting about my stuff there. Fair enough. All right. Karen, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me on. This was really fun. Yay. And thank you, Mike. Thank you, Jason. And thank you for listening. It was a very <laughs>